Welcome to Come Talk With Me. I'm Maxetta Gad, and I believe we all have a story. I also believe we can learn from each other. Sometimes we learn what to do, and sometimes we learn what not to do. My hope is we all learn we are not alone in whatever chapter of our story we are in or have been through. Hey listeners, it's Maxetta. Hey, I wanted to hop on here real quick and let you know what you have to look forward to. The month of June will be a little different. I'm actually doing a series, a little mini series. <laughs> Each Monday, I'll have the same guest. Her name is Tara Huckel. She is wonderful. Her story hits so many parts that people can relate to. We did not want to condense it down and leave anything out. So she graciously agreed to meet with me many times to get this recorded for you to enjoy each Monday. So each Monday of the month of June will be a different part of her story. So when you get to the end of the podcast, you'll be left um, with a little curiosity, a little suspicion. Nope, a better word is anticipation for the next Monday. So you can hear the rest of the story, as they say. It's so encouraging. It absolutely exemplifies what becoming beauty from ashes looks like. Oh, oh my goodness. It is so good. I do want to give you the heads up. The first couple episodes do touch on some adult topics, so probably not appropriate for little ears. And I also want to encourage you, if you are dealing with any of the topics that she touches on, listen to how God has healed her and has restored her and has delivered her. It is amazing. It has left me encouraged, but it has left me also just in awe of who God is and what he can do. And oh my goodness, it's amazing. She also radiates joy and gentleness and truly the love of Christ. It's phenomenal. So what we're doing though is you'll get an episode on the podcast each week, each Monday, but on Monday, I'm also going to put our conversations up on YouTube. They're just raw and uncut and unedited. So if you want to actually see her or if you prefer that platform, they'll be in both places. Hey, thank you again for hanging in there with me. I am continuously learning. Oh, but I love it. I I love it. I just love it. So uh, grow with me and... um, Be encouraged and always know that you are not alone in whatever you're dealing with. Hey, I love you guys. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. I'm Maxetta Steele. (laughs) And we're doing things a little differently this time. I have a guest joining me and um, you want to hear her testimony. It's phenomenal. And we're going to make this a series. It should be sometime in the summer. And you'll get to hear from start to finish what God has done in her life. It's just phenomenal. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Tara Hugh-Kill. She'll correct me on that. Um, she is uh, was full of nerves, yet obediently answered the call of God in 2021 to begin a ministry on social media. The call was to share her testimony and bring people the love of Jesus and ultimately salvation. She has a heart for the lost and has learned to live with an eternal perspective. That's a big deal. Write that down. That really ministered to me to live with an eternal perspective. In her day-to-day, she enjoys spending time with her husband, and you'll get to hear a little bit about their relationship as well, which is phenomenal what God has done in it. And she loves spending time with her bonus kids, as well as her husband's ex-wife, Tiffany. Yes, you heard me correctly, her husband's ex-wife. Wait until you hear how God has beautifully orchestrated that relationship. 
She's a Jesus loving girl that wants to love, or excuse me, that wants to love on everyone and loves being a vessel for others to find freedom that she has found in Christ. She is from Texas, uh, where she resides right now. Everything is certainly bigger in Texas, including her testimony. It is just amazing what God has done in her life. So I'm going to let her one, correct her last name because I butchered it. And then two, tell you a little bit about herself. Hey, Tara, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. You are so sweet and I'm so honored. Oh, no, it's our pleasure. My goodness. Yeah. Well, thank you. You did really good. It's Huckel. 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 Yes, you that's know. right. Right. <laughs> You and you all look that up at the end. Um, she will give you where you can find her on social media. And you need to give her a follow. It is worth it for sure. Thank you. Yes. Oh, so sweet. Well, yes. Yeah, so I'm Tara. And I guess I started really sharing my testimony on TikTok because God sent me there. It was a little further end of my testimony where I'm not, I'm going to start at the beginning today, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but the main goal of ever sharing my testimony has been to show people that you are not alone. Like you always say, <laughs> that there is hope in Jesus yeah. and that no matter how bad your life is, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, God can heal it and redeem it and restore it. And I truly believe that is why God has asked me to share because in my everyday, when people meet me, they're like, you're the nicest, sweetest, happiest, most joyful person. You must have had the perfect life. And I'm like, what do you think about my life? Yeah. And hear the drastic things that I've gone through, they're shocked. They are shocked that I'm not in a mental institute or completely lost and broken on the street somewhere. And the only answer has been God. He has truly been the everything. And that's why I'm going to share because I know there are other people hurting. I know there's people that have been where I've been and I want everyone to have that freedom and that joy that Jesus paid for. And it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. It is amazing. You're right. Um, as I listen to your testimony and I'm sure as the listeners hear it, you know, easily your life could have went another way, you know, mm. certainly. So it is amazing that you are full of joy, <laughs> loving on others and really sharing the love of Christ. It, it truly is. So I will let you start. Um, I did want to give a little um, warning maybe or suggestion. Adults listen to this first and decide if it's appropriate for little ears or not. We will be talking about adult topics, some of yes. which include sexual abuse, um, possibly drugs, alcohol, different things. So you listen first. And if you feel like your child is old enough, that's at your discretion. But I did want to go ahead and give a little, little ears warning. So and it's thanks. amazing though. Sure. Goodness. It's amazing. <laughs> Ma'am. <laughs> Go ahead and yeah. tell us about the <laughs> younger years. Yes, we'll start right from the beginning. Yeah. And I think you back what you said. And even on TikTok, you know, it's known as like a trigger warning. Yes. Even mm -hmm. for adults, you know, I want to say if you are of the correct age <laughs> and if you're starting to hear this and you're thinking, oh, no, that's going to trigger something in me. Oh, I don't want to listen to that. That's going to make me sad. I just want to say, take a quick second, say a little prayer yes. and hang on because yes. as hard as some of the things are that you're going to hear, like I am fully complete in the Lord and there's nothing that I'm going to share that ends and stays there in right. the back. I promise you it is worth it. And I promise you, you will find a healing through it. It's not just a sad story. So hold on. <laughs> yeah. Thank hold you on. for saying that. That's great. That's right. Yes. Yes. You got to the other side of it for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So please, please don't just turn it off when you hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I would say I started it on a TikTok this way as well. And it was funny. It hadn't really come to me until I sat down and just started talking mm -hmm. and the Lord said, start from the second you were born. And I thought, oh my goodness, even from the second I was born, the enemy was trying to end my life because he yeah. is the thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And God That's is me. the life. And so when I was actually born, <laughs> my mom was younger and she had me on a couch in her apartment and the cord was wrapped around my neck and I would have died if the firemen did not show up. The cord was wrapped around my neck. I think I was coming out backwards. She was young and on the couch. 
the firemen couldn't get in the big door. So it started that way. You know, it's just, just a reminder that there's a constant battle, hell and heaven for our life. And, but it's so easy once you see that. And once you live with that eternal perspective, you get to see, okay, they were trying, but they have no authority. I have authority in Jesus. Yeah. You already have the victory. It's not Mm -hmm. scary, but you do see the attempts. (laughs) So that's right. That's right. it all started there. Yes. I was born on yeah. the couch. On the couch. That now I didn't know that part. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. And we yeah. joke, my mom can say, You came into the world just ready and crazy from the start. <laughs> oh, just fighting, just a fighter right yeah. from the start. That's right. Now, just to just as I have mentioned in previous podcasts and YouTube episodes, when we refer to the enemy, we do mean the devil, Satan. Yes. That is actually who we're referring to. Um, yes. so I just want to make sure any non-believers or just, you know, just ones that aren't used to that terminology are clear on that. So yeah, yeah, go yeah. right ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in just like a small town, little farm town in upstate New York. My parents are from New York and we were very simple. We didn't even have a Walmart, but we had church yeah. and <laughs> my parents gotten saved. And so I was raised in a, you know, Christian home by a Christian father. And, um, both my parents were Catholic before they got born again. And so my dad was also raised with a lot of like rules and legalism. And so he kind of stuck around with a little bit of that in his early years of wanting to please God and wanting to strive and do good and be good. And, and that kind of followed into our lives growing up where it was more religion than relationship. I did not have a relationship with Jesus, even though eventually my dad heard the Lord say for us to leave that little town in New York and move to the big city (laughs) in the night. Yeah. Wow. Like California for us. It was like LA. Yeah. Yes. I, I totally get that. I'm from a little teeny town, so I can't imagine. Yes, yeah. Totally oh, yeah. Get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the nineties. So it was when the Dallas Cowboys were like Emmett Smith, the biggest thing going on. And yeah. I just looking at the houses and the people, like everybody says women in Texas are so beautiful. And I just remember being like, everybody looks like a Barbie doll. Everybody's house. <laughs> like I had never seen wealth like that. Right. And so it was totally know, new to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, but before we even moved to Texas, um, when we lived in that little town, it was already the enemy's goal to, you know, hell, Satan to attack our, my identity. And what started with generational curses, you know, that's what it's called in the Bible, but it's when the family before you and the family before that, you know, my mom and her family had all had such low self-esteem. And I began to have extreme self-esteem issues at such a young age and my identity, just not ever feeling good enough, pretty. My mom said I was coming home from kindergarten at four saying how ugly I was and how different I was. I mean, where did those ideas even come from? It's amazing. But you know, kiddos nowadays, even, I mean, I have some great nieces and they do start so young with the attacks, especially on the body, the appearance. Yes, ma'am. It's, Mm -hmm. it's amazing, but true. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, people who may say, well, it's not the enemy, it's the world we live in. Well, yeah, the, the enemy will use the world we live in to right. say, you have to look like this. You have to be like this, or you're not good. You have to have the money. You have to have this worldly look, but that is the opposite of God. That's mm-hmm. why he is love because he looks at the inside. And I'm at that age, I just didn't know. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'd and- say that, you know, on top of already not feeling beautiful, already feeling so clear, when you throw in trauma, <laughs> it's another open door. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Yes. It's another attempt for the enemy to just attack and say, look how different you are and to bring what is so common in people's lives. It's shame. Yes. And that's when, when I was four years old, um, for anybody listening, just hold on, don't give up yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's a little, little, trauma coming up. So when I was four, my uh, parents had some friends over and they had older kids and we would just go off and play. And my parents, you know, never thought anything of it. I never thought anything of it, but I was four. I was so little. And before I knew it, one of the older kids was secluding me, taking me into different rooms and I was being molested. And my mom and dad had no idea at the time. And this family would come over often 
they actually went to our church. And so we went to church with them. We knew their siblings, their relatives, and our parents were so close. I would go to their house often. We'd go to similar houses together. And over time, it was literally every single time we saw them, I was getting molested. I didn't even know what it was at the time, but I knew that I felt shame instantly. I knew that different. I became the most self-conscious four-year-old in the world. I began truly hating myself at the age of four. And one day my mom, um, she had wisdom. She had discernment. That's a gift that my family has. (laughs) And I'll never forget. She called me. She actually walked in when it was happening, but we were kind of hidden. And she said, Tara, come with me. And she pulled me into the bathroom and she said, is this going on? And I just broke down and I said, yes, it is. And I didn't even know what it was. You know, she just asked me, is someone touching you? And then from that moment on, it never happened again, but it also wasn't really discussed a lot. My parents were young and they protected me from it and grateful, but I didn't really know how to deal with that. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So I would say that that moment truly was a, a door for the enemy to come in that would start a spiral in my life up until my thirties of true self-hate, self-consciousness and extreme shame. Yeah. Would you say at that time, I'm 46, you're not, you're not quite there yet, but (laughs) it's it's different though than that. Like when those Mm. things occurred in, in that time, you really didn't talk about them. Right. Oh no. Go get help. You didn't, you know, confront the other parents. Right. I mean, you just, okay, stopped it. And, and at the time, I'm sure your mom did the best she could with what she had and thought she was doing the right thing, just keeping you from being alone with her, you know, but so it's much different than now. There isn't as many resources or ways to handle it. Yeah. And, and to talk about it, like now there's all these movements do that. And that's truly where the enemy keeps so much shame is in the dark because this expose the darkness to the light. It can get healed. But when you, it's so much shame Mm -hmm. and just stuck with me, it truly did. And also as I, you know, began to grow up and got a little older and started, I think I eventually shared it with an ex and, um, my situation is a little different when it first happened to me, you know, you see the movies, we hear the stereotypes. It's usually an uncle, a grandpa, you know, older man. And for me, it was an older girl. And so I never really shared that for a long time because I didn't think it was necessary. Mm-hmm. And just when I got on TikTok, the Lord was like, no, you need to share that detail because this is not talked about as often. Right. right. And people yeah. may be even thinking, well, I molested because it wasn't a man. I mean, I told myself that for so many years. Well, it wasn't a man, so it wasn't molestation. No, you didn't want it. it you were four. Right. <laughs> you right. Didn't know. Yeah. It was still inappropriate. Still. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. And so God has really told me like, no, you need to share that because there are people that have never talked about that. And when I shared that publicly, I have lost count how many women have reached out to me mm-hmm. and said, I well, my children, I've never told anyone. And then they began to, because again, the darkness was exposed to the light. Amen. Yeah, that's true. A lot of times that's not to, I don't want to get off track with your testimony, but I think a lot of times secrets are full of mm-hmm. shame. They're from the enemy because they're in the dark. I mean, there's a difference yeah. between being private with information and it being a secret you know, secret something, I mean, you, you don't want out because there's shame. There could be hurt from it. And a lot of people carry that secret, that secret shame. And it just, um, I think it impacts every function of their life. Yeah. Yes. And that's what he wants us to feel alone. It only happens to you. Nobody would believe you. No one would understand. And that's where he keeps that grasp on you. That's that feeling of, I'm not like other people. I started thinking I'm not normal. I just want to be normal like the other girls you know you feel like there's something wrong with you when you did nothing but there's another side to that that I learned as I got older and more traumas came into my life I realized that it's almost like once you are abused in any way but I've also noticed a lot in sexual abuse it's like there's something on our forehead spiritual that says like I've been abused abuse me you know yourself so low you feel like you deserved it you don't you learn 
well, I couldn't stand up for myself. You don't feel strong. You don't feel like you can protect yourself. And it's as if the spiritual issues around you, the people who have the issues who want to abuse, it's so spiritual. They know it's everybody I've talked to says the same thing. It's like, I have it written on my forehead. Right. Yeah. It is crazy because it wasn't long before 14 came along Yeah, (laughs) and I was 14 and I had not really talked about that. I had, you know, moved around a lot and we had gone to a public school. We were homeschooled. Then we moved to big old Texas and went to a private Christian school, which we got to go to for free because my dad taught there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Again, feeling the enemy using worldly things to make me feel less than we had no money. Right. (laughs) Dirt poor. Yeah. We had in our walls, cockroaches in our drawers. We had, um, syringes all out front from all the drug dealers and the drug addicts and the gangs and um, sex offenders and kidnappings happening all in our neighborhood. (laughs) And we were going to school with these kids that were literally millionaires. They lived in castles. Their dads played in the NFL. Their parents were soccer, pro soccer players. They're eating, you know, so healthy. And on the outside, they looked like they had these perfect lives. And I'm already feeling less than because of my childhood. And then I get into this situation. A lot of the kids were bullies and just unkind. And I remember having some of my friends over (laughs) and their mom would pull up to our house. And the next day I'd get a call or in school, they'd say, I'm never allowed to spend the night at your house again. You know, just, just in me building on that shame of my identity is what happened to me. My identity is that I'm poor. My identity is that nobody thinks I'm cool enough or pretty enough. And that is such a lie. Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's insane how the enemy will just lie to us. He's the father of lies. Right. And it's amazing to me when I hear your testimony, how just, you know, started at at birth with the cord, but then at four o'clock or at four years old, excuse me, he just found that entrance. It's almost like in, in your life and continue to just build and make it more and more and more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely the enemy and he found Mm -hmm. an entrance and gosh, he paraded on through for a little while. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I've noticed a lot too, that on top of the person, you know, being in shame, that's one side kind of hiding and being in shame. The other side that I noticed as I got older, um, was that a lot of people eventually, once they talk about it publicly, then what happened to them becomes their identity. And that's dangerous too. Oh yeah. That's very dangerous because while I was the girl who got molested, I was the girl who was poor. I, you know, I was the, I was allowing myself to identify as the things that happened to me or the things said about me. And it's the literal opposite of that biblically. And if you look at people who, who identify as what happened to them or, you know, want to stay as that victim, it, it literally hinders all healing, all, all growth, all joy. And it, I truly believe that is what keeps people in those PTSD moments, yeah. those flashbacks, all of the things that I had for years and years and right. years, I would be in the fetal position. I'd have flashbacks. I would to all the stuff that happened in my life yeah. <laughs> and meltdowns I and mean, crying hysterically and self-hate that just produced so much more, you know, we'll get into horrible choices in my future. <laughs> and so it, so important for us if you're feeling hopeless and you've tried everything else I sure did to know our identity in Christ because he is who created us and he is the only one that can take that shame and guilt he already took it on the cross yes but been paid for and it is the only thing that can free us truly and fill us peace and supernatural peace that doesn't make any sense <laughs> and make all those flashbacks and PTSD moments completely disappear forever right, right. That's right. Amen. Amen. And, you know, sometimes I think when people hear, it it doesn't mean that the abuse and the hurt did not happen. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that you're not recognizing and owning it happened, but it's not who you are. Just she said, I mean, it's not your identity. It doesn't define you. It happened. Yes. And it doesn't make it less hurtful or doesn't make it mean less. 
No, but it's not your identity. Your identity is found in Christ. And that yes. is where her freedom came yes. from. You know, yes. it's not, I, I've talked to some people and they feel like, well, I own it. I own what happened to me. Yes. 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 Okay. We're not saying that it didn't, but the freedom yes. from the new creation that you are in Christ and the identity that you have in Christ. Yes. Yes. And it's clear. I mean, the Bible says um, we were born sinners. You know, we were born sinners yeah. from the, we were conceived Psalm 51, five, we're yeah. all born into Adam, but we were made in God's image. Genesis one twenty seven says God created man in his own image. And the way I look at everything is, okay, is God a victim? No. Is God depressed? Is God filled with PTSD? Is he any of these images? If he's not, I can be what he has because I was made in his image. Does it in the Bible? And if I believe the Bible, I, I believe that. Yes. Yes. And I not only believed it, I've seen it happen in my life. It's supernatural. It doesn't make any sense how I can have zero flashbacks. And it's not to stop me. Like you said, I will tell people I've been molested. I've been sexually abused. It's not to hide it. It's not to la la la. Don't think about it. Like right. that, that we're not denying it. Mm -hmm. We're, we're talking about it. That's part of it. We're owning it. We're admitting we're bringing that darkness to the light. And then we're saying, okay, God, I don't want any of the after effects of what yeah. happened to affect my life and hold me back. Keep me feeling powerless. Keep me feeling depressed sick, all the things that happen when we hold on to it and then asking God, like, who am I? Like, what is my yeah. image, my identity? Because I don't want my identity to be me sitting in a corner, crying my whole life and feeling completely helpless, hopeless, right. powerless when there's so much more. And he has just filled me with so much healing that I, I look back and I, it's like a movie now. Yes. <laughs> He's completely i'm like who is that girl oh, my god it's like it's a different person almost would yeah. you say that yeah that's oh amen to that listen yeah. i want to shout but i won't i don't want to bust anybody's eardrums that's right yes amen <laughs> yeah i like that i love how you how you phrase that I, mm. which i told you before i love as you share your testimony you just it is met with god it is met with the scriptures it is met with the redemption just all that he is. Yes. So good. Okay. Go ahead. So something that I noticed as I've shared is so many people feel like once bad things happen to you, like the world will say like you're damaged goods, you're just broken, you're a broken person. But again, scripture says in Psalm 139, nine, that God created my inmost being. He knit me in my mother's womb. 139, 16 says all of my days were written in your book. Every moment was laid out before one of them came to be. So right there, you were created with a purpose on purpose by God, the creator of the universe. So that means, yes, John 16, 33 says in this world, you will have trials, unfortunately with free will. And since yeah. Adam's sin on this earth we live in a world you can look around right now and you can see that right <laughs> right God created it us for that he never created evil for us he mm -hmm. never even hell for us <laughs> and so he there's going to be trials you're going to go through hard times but i have enough power and authority to heal everything and i've overcome the world yeah. i have everything mm -hmm. and know that we can go to him we can trust him even if you're not a believer so many people that have seen my testimony end up saying i don't believe in god or i have religious trauma but i felt something as you were talking and they're feeling the holy spirit truth mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they're seeing the healing and they can't deny <laughs> yes yes jesus that's what he did and it's not just for me it's literally for every single person yeah. God is no respecter of persons. He That's loves right. us all the same. Amen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So yeah. walk me through when you are 14 and yeah. you're, you're discovering neighborhood children, friends. Yeah. <laughs> I use the term friends very loosely. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> turned out they were about our, our same age, uh, my brother and I. And so we were uh, getting to know our neighbors and I became really good friends with them. And I started dating, <laughs> whatever we you want to be yeah. boyfriend, you want to be girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> it was my like, first boyfriend. I felt really cool, but yeah, we 
talked or hung out other than uh, once or twice we went to one of their churches with them. But um, I started, you know, begging my mom, can I spend the night, please, please, please. And uh, my mom knew what happened at four. And so we lived in this not so safe neighborhood. And the family that I wanted to spend the night at when we used to sit at the table and do our homework from this millionaire school, um, Mm -hmm. the neighbors would be drinking, partying, peeing on the side of our house and having fist fights outside of our window. (laughs) So my mom was not very fond of the idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a very determined person. Right. Mm-hmm. I was headstrong. I was always the fighter, which thank you, Jesus. I know he gave that to me yes. for what going through in my life. But I begged and pleaded to spend the night. And she even would say things like, I just don't know if it's safe, you know. And over time, um, my friend who lived next door, the, the sister, she um, was telling me that one or two of her half brothers were going to be coming to live with them. They were getting out of prison and jail and all this stuff. And so I had heard about it. Um, all the girls in the neighborhood were talking, saying one of the guys was so handsome. And I just remember anytime someone said something that I wanted love, I wanted attention. I was so self-hating, so self-conscious. I immediately was like, oh, I want this person to think I'm pretty. I was 14. (laughs) He was in his twenties. I mean, the lies. Right. And at this time, I really hadn't even kissed a boy, barely his half brother. (laughs) And, um, I remember my dad would go up front and stop this guy from beating his girlfriend and my dad would try to tell him about Jesus. And it was just that, that situation begged my mom, I begged and begged. And finally she just gave in and said, okay, go. And we had been at the water park all day. And so we had our bathing suits on. We're still kind of wet. We had our clothing on over it. And my friend and I were in her living room watching TV and she was lying on the floor and she fell asleep and in came one of the half brothers and he came from like the basement area and he sat on the couch and I was on this chair in front of like an air conditioner unit, which I was freezing to death because I was still wet. (laughs) And I was kind of shivering and I was all nervous. Like, Oh my goodness, this is the one everybody talks about. Now this man is in his twenties. He's not a kind person. I mean, the, the things the enemy puts in our head. And I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, that guy's here. And And then he said, Hey, do you want to switch places? And I was like, Oh, cool. I'm freezing. So I jumped up and I went to sit on the couch and he did not get back up. And I remember all of those little thoughts of like, this is so fun. Just, I always say like my legs went numb, (laughs) that feeling of just complete fear and uncomfortableness. And, you know, you know, when someone's doing something or going to do something, usually you can sense it. And I, at the time, had no idea he had been drinking. He did drugs. I had no idea at the time what really any of that was, but it was not long before he was molesting me and sexually abusing me. And I remember just being in shock. I was older this time. I remember being so scared. My legs just felt like they were numb. And I remember thinking, what if she wakes up? This is so embarrassing there are other people in this house. Her parents were home. I was so mortified. And again, the shame coming on me, absolutely embarrassed and in so much pain and so scared. And I remember it literally went on all night until the sun came up. He would leave and go drink or smoke and come back and he would leave and come back. And I literally laid on this couch with my legs, just numb of fear and did not move until I saw the sun come up and I woke up my friend and I remember just saying, I did stuff with your brother. I got to go. And I just started crying. And from that moment on, I remember just thinking, I can't really say what happened. I'll just say I did things that will make me cool. You know, anything but the truth, because the truth is too painful. Right. Right ran home. And I remember I just started, my mom, how was it? My mom, and I'm like, great. And I had some books to read and I just ran in my room and just bawled my eyes out mm-hmm. and it had happened again. <laughs> Did you at any time feel like, like you, you deserved this or you, because of what happened when you were four, like after this incident happened, did you think, well, this is, I must deserve this. Or mm-hmm. did that ever cross your mind? I know I didn't think it like that wasn't a thought that I 
personally thought, I know subconsciously that is what I thought because I hated myself Right, and I hate myself and not hate myself, put myself in the worst situations that I believed I deserved. So it was in there. I didn't say it out loud, but I know I put myself in hate situations, situations I knew that would hurt myself Yeah, because I believed I was worth nothing. It just, pushed my self-esteem so low that I was dirt. I deserved nothing. Nobody good would ever want me. Yeah. I was up, you know, I wasn't pure, you know, cause I was, I was a preacher's daughter. My dad had graduated Dallas Theological Seminary. He was teaching at a Christian school and becoming a preacher. Yeah. And here I am, you know, I'm being raised in in the nineties and early two thousands, it was all about purity. Right. And I was all about it too. Yeah. <laughs> I had saving myself for marriage. And I remember a moment saying, I I had forgotten to say he had actually gotten up from the couch at one point and gone to take me into a back room. And he was saying things I knew he was going to rape me. And I was saying, no, 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 no. Hold on. Your brother knows me. I'm dating your brother. He knows I'm a virgin. You can't do this. And that literally immediately stopped him in his tracks. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I don't know how other than Jesus, right? because he was drunk and high and not a kind person. Right. So he just sighed. You're right. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, it, it definitely put me in a place of, I started thinking, well, at least I'm still a virgin. At least I still have that. And I'm going to keep that until I'm married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like myself. Cause I just felt worthless. Right. You know, that's what he does that shame and, mm-hmm. and not feeling good enough. You feel yeah. broken. And then you, you attract what you believe you are. And you so attract what you believe you are, write that down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And so that I begin to attract just men that wanted nothing but that. And so after 14, I started dressing so product provocatively, even a little bit before that, when I started going to public school, we had left the Christian school for a year and my dad got his first preaching job in upstate New York. We were there for about a year, but we, they stopped paying us. Uh, they were paying us in fruits and vegetables. <laughs> oh my goodness. So we came back to Texas, right back to that school. Yeah. But in that public school, there were still moments of my innocence stolen. There was still sexual harassment at the age of 13 in that school. There was still so much um, being thrown into that environment. I learned a lot. I had been pretty sheltered up until that point. And I came back wearing black eyeliner and dressing really provocatively. And then after 14, went and got my belly button pierced and wore, be- you know, anything I could do to rebel yeah. after attention because I was so broken already. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that was some sort of defense mechanism or like you were so broken, but wanted to appear strong? Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. I always was the tough girl. I was always like, you know, I got bullied a lot, but then I also became like a bully, you know, and I wanted to be the mouthy one. And I wanted, I started sassing off to teachers. I was so disrespectful. And I also recognized that that's what got me attention. I had never had attention, always wanted attention. I only got it in long ways. And so I realized, Hey, if I act out, if I act this wild, if I act this rebellious, I get attention for that. And that makes me feel wanted and loved. And and does it bring the opposite? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I go back to that little girl and just tell her, this is not it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm thankful now. I know that, that God always uses what the enemy meant for such evil and he will use it for such good right. beauty is. And I'm honestly so healed from the past that I'm so thankful that I walked through the things I did because God healed me 100%. Now I can talk to anybody who's been through the same thing and help show them there is hope. Yeah. Look, look in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Promise you, he can do it for you. (laughs) Yeah. Does it anytime when you share your testimony or you share this, does it bring back any old feelings or are you just totally free from that? And it doesn't trigger anything or never literally God. I don't have triggers. I don't think about it negatively. It doesn't make me sad. Yeah. It's crazy how it's gone. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's only Jesus. Yeah. The only time I cry telling my testimony is when I'm overwhelmed by God's goodness. And yes. I'm so thankful. Yeah. And I'm blown away by his miracles that I'm like bawling. And people are like, I'm so sorry. I can tell. And I'm like, no, 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 no. 
you. This isn't sad. I'm not sad. It's tears of gratitude and just, yeah, I'm blown away by his power and his love, how his love heals. And it just wrecks me what he's done for me and what he has saved me from and where I could, should be right now. Yeah. (laughs) And I believe that it is because, um, I listen to a preacher a lot, Dan Moeller. (laughs) And um, he's a preacher that has just helped me get where I am with the Lord. And he always says, do not look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. So in the Bible, there's a a verse uh, talking about a wife that looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And it is such a good analogy. Like we become so bitter. We become so salty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. People look back at our past and we hold on to the hurt and we hold on to the pain and we don't release it to God to heal. And he says, don't look back, look up. And just today I was listening to him and he said, uh, Psalm one twenty one one. I lift my eyes to the Hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Philippians three thirteen through 14 says, I forget what lies behind and I strain toward, uh, forward towards what is ahead. And that's truly how I am where I am today, because I looked back for a long time and it kept me back. It kept me there. It kept me that pillar of salt, <laughs> very yeah. salt and hurting all the time, all the flashbacks. And now I can say that when I looked up and when I asked God to heal me, he did. And it is so true. I don't look back anymore. I look forward. The Bible says we have present and things to come. He, it never said, and keep the past, hold on to it. It is your identity. Cry about it all the time. Let it hurt you. Let it hold you. Let it just bind you. Cause that is what it does. Yeah. It says we present and the things to come because our hope is in Jesus. Yes. <laughs> and amen. So joyful all yes. the time. I can talk yeah. about this and not have any triggers. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's <laughs> wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. So now you are in New York and you're in your rebel phase with all of your dark makeup and short shorts and <laughs> oh. short shorts and <laughs> So tell me um, about the next phase of this journey. Yes. So, and God was so good. Even when I was in that school in New York for a year, um, it was a rough area. It was a lot of rough kids that had kind of been kicked out of the bigger city schools. Like we lived in a little town that had like 300 people. They were excited when we moved in to change the population sign because there were six of them (laughs) that they got to put 306 on the sign. Gosh, no, that is small. <laughs> yeah. Like we like class in New York. There's a movie about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah. Or I was technically upper J, but it was like placid. And uh, we had mountain lions in our driveway, everything. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Arlington. <laughs> and um, I went to school. And the, the hard thing about how many times we moved was being the new kid all the time. Yeah. I loved quote unquote the attention because I I I just wanted it so badly, but it also brought a lot of just high school stuff, you know, the new girl. And I, in that school, I was literally getting death threats my first week. <laughs> People were threatening to kill me. It was a rough group of kids yeah. in some of the places. And um, God always sent me somebody and he sent me the most beautiful, kind, popular, bold girl named Sarah, who's still Aww. my one of my best friends to this day. Yeah. <laughs> took me under her wing, even though she was a year younger, she was so popular. She told everybody, leave me alone. And from that moment on, I was protected for the most part, you know, she couldn't stop all of the things, but, um, we were only there for a year. And then we were right back to Texas to the same school my dad was, uh, teaching at. And that's when I met a friend who had just had a lot of trauma. Her she was, you know, somebody who was hurting and broken. And obviously I didn't know that at the time because we were both like 15 and once again, choices and decisions. Now I'm getting a little older and I'm 15 and I'm going to church. I'm going to youth group and I'm hearing about God and I know him. Well, I know about him. (laughs) I know about God. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I've said the salvation prayer a million times. I've done the rededication thing at every youth event because I got convicted and I started becoming promiscuous (laughs) and I would just tell myself anything but sex. I'm saving myself for marriage. So I'm everything else got taken anyways, might as well do it. But I have that and I will hold on to that until the day I get married. It felt so good to have that control because everything had been taken in my mind. 
And so I knew all about Bible verses. I just knew all these things, but I did not have relationship with Jesus. And I surely did not know the character of God. I thought of him as boring. I thought of church as boring. I thought of God is just strict and rulemaking and the opposite of who he is. <laughs> and so I rebelled. It was fun to rebel. And one of those choices was choosing a rebellious person in the school to be my best friend. <laughs> Not only did I, was I drawn to that, I was also becoming an awful stumbling block for every person around me. Every girl that came around me that was pure and innocent. Now that I look back, I mean, I remember when I first asked God to forgive me, I was overwhelmed with the truth of it. Like, I changed those girls' lives by telling them all these sexual things and telling them how promiscuous I was. And they were so pure at the time and their parents saw a shift in them. And it truly came through me as a vessel. I mm. remember, I remember their moms not liking me because yeah. <laughs> I was a girl always wanting the boys around and I was hurting and I just needed another thing is I was in so many churches. I was around so many religious people and nobody ever in that school came to me and said, with discernment, has something happened to you? Like, are you hurting? Mm. I want you to know your worth in God. And obviously I, I take responsibility for my own actions as well. Yeah. But when I look back, it just makes me become the person I am now that always looks for the good in people and always brings them truth and love yeah. because you can't preach somebody to Jesus. And it's not even love. It's not kind. It's not what he did. And I remember um, coaches and people, adults in that school, hating me and hating my rebellion and just constantly making me run extra. I was an athlete. And um, every time I rebelled for attention, they just hated me more. And nobody ever stopped to show me the true love of Jesus. And so I just kept going. I was yeah. like, okay, I can't stand religious people. I'm going to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I hate that. I hate when Jesus is misrepresented by people who don't know his love. Right. It yeah. turns people so far away from him. And that's what I did at 15. I got with the party girl and she was so fun and beautiful. And I was allowed to spend the night at her house where her parents were not home hardly ever. And, um, her older brother was home and she had told me all about him, that he was this super handsome boy that everybody wanted. He was way older than me, uh, five years or so. And again, the self-esteem just thinking, oh my gosh, if someone like that could think I was pretty. And she was telling me I'm, I'm his type. And I was so excited to meet him. And we would just go over to her house and hang out at first. But then she started telling me about her, her lifestyle and she would party on the weekend at 15. She had been partying. She was doing ecstasy by like 12 and 13, smoking weed, getting drunk, going to all these parties. And she was extremely promiscuous as well. And it was not long before that was my life. Overnight, I began smoking, getting drunk at the age of 15, like blackout drunk all the time. I had no idea. And going to these parties with strangers, getting in their car while they're drunk and driving with them. I should be dead. <laughs> it's insane what God, again, protected me from. And so thankful. <laughs> um, and it was not long before I met her brother and he was telling her he thought I was pretty and all the things. And next thing I know, one day he's waking me up. I used to sleep on her floor and he's waking me up and telling me to come in his room and things just began. And, um, I was being very promiscuous, but I, what he would always say constantly, very sadistically, are you a virgin? I'm, I'm going to take that from you. Are you a virgin? I'd say, Oh, I'm, I'm a virgin. I'm 100% waiting until I'm married. I had been dating a guy that I was in love with like 13, four, whatever, 14, 15. <laughs> and he knew I was like, mm -mm, that's for my marriage. No, sorry. So I was like, listen, I've known this guy for a couple of years. I think I'm in love with him. I won't even do that with him. So it's just, there's no chance. And he started calling and saying, have you ever been on a date? And I said, no. And I remember feeling so excited. Like I am worth a date. Yeah. I'm worth a date. You know, again, finding my worth. It is dangerous. If we yeah. do not have our worth in Jesus, if we find our worth in anything but God, yeah. our children, our spouse, even something so innocent, like I find my worth in my children. Well, that's not a bad thing. It can be <laughs> because what if they disappoint you one day? What if something, anything could happen? Yeah. Your worth is well, your spouse is your worth. What happens if something goes wrong there? What right. happens if they down? What happens if your friends are your identity or your, your job, you get fired. Yeah. <laughs> you 
have to be grounded in Christ and know our identity comes from him and truly believe it and receive it. Otherwise, our worth is what other people say and do. And it is ups and downs and it's yeah. only going to lead to destruction. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking while you were saying that our mm-hmm. identity in Christ is the only thing that's solid and that won't okay. change when your yeah. identity is in anything else, whether being a wife, a mom, a, there are changes that come yeah. up that impact that. So yeah. absolutely. You said that very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you felt wanted and worthy and seen by this fella. Gosh, I couldn't wait to go on a date. I thought it was the coolest thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And he was handsome and he had a car oh, and I just, yeah. I cannot believe this guy, because at this point I started getting made fun of in school. I always got teased by the rich kids. Mm-hmm. Um, some people were still saying like, you're, you're pretty popular. But then the older kids were always making fun of my curly hair, calling it a rat's nest, calling me poor. You know, it was just, yeah. and I believed it. I believed I was disgusting. And so I saw myself as literal, just the most disgusting of the most disgusting human being on the planet. That was my yeah. view of my, because of the enemy and the things that had happened that were just holding me in that bondage of shame and brokenness. Yeah. And so to think that this handsome boy wanted to take me on a date to the movies was, it was like I was in the movies. I thought it was yeah. cool. Yeah. And my parents would go in this dangerous neighborhood we lived in. They'd go to a um, church, like a uh, adult, you know, church group and they'd lock the doors and they'd say, okay, you know, my brother was a little older. Okay. Y'all are safe. Lock the doors. I would literally go out my front door. Yeah. Walk three streets down in my promiscuous little outfit yeah. waiting this boy and this was before cell phones yeah. and I would knock on strangers doors wow. when he would never show up and use their phones my gosh in such a dangerous neighborhood it's gang a, yeah there's knocking on their door hi yeah wow <laughs> Jesus I can't absolutely it was I mean the area we lived in um if you've heard of the amber alert yeah. um that's found now for kidnappings yes. amber she was kidnapped in my neighborhood and so oh, that my goodness that's yeah. where I grew up. and so to I'm give us an idea of yes yeah. exactly yeah wow my parents had no idea and the first couple of times he just never showed up it was very sadistic he liked to see me get excited I guess or he would just yeah drugs so maybe he forgot yeah and I was and I would again think I'm just so gross and finally by like the third or fourth time he actually made it to pick me up. And I was so giddy, so excited. I felt felt so just loved. And uh, we pulled into the movie theater and I was going to the movies with a handsome boy. He, that meant I was beautiful and worth something. And I remember he pulled right up to the front door and looked at me and I'm just smiling. And he said, okay, do you have money? And I'm like, no, I don't. And he said, well, I don't have money. And he just started getting very mean. And I was like, okay. Um, and he just whipped the car around, pulled to the back of the driveway parking lot. And it was dark out and just started getting on top of me and we kind of made our way to the back seat. And we had been kissing and being promiscuous. But again, I was always like, nope, not going any further. I'm saving that right. for marriage. Finally have something. And before I knew it, he's pushing the limits and pushing the limits and he's taking off clothing items. And I'm mortified. Yeah. I'm thinking, I know there's no cars around right now, but we are in public. And yeah. again, it was that shame, that embarrassment, my legs going numb. Like this can't be real life. I was supposed to be in the movies being loved and just yeah. on a day, all the girls in the TV that are so pretty. And I must not be that girl because look what's happening again. And I just laid there in shock. And the next thing I know, he's trying to go all the way. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm a virgin. No, no, no. He just kept going. And it was in that moment at 15 that I did not know the term. I would not call it rape, but it was date rape Uh where, you know, you, so many girls struggle calling it what it is. And especially for people that grew up abused in multiple ways, you always appease the abuser. I began again, that shutdown. I I couldn't protect myself. I'm just going to enable. I just don't want to make them angry. A lot of that in my childhood as well, just never wanting to make a man angry. And it comes over you that it it was there. It was my fault. I I did that. I allowed that, you know, you start to hear these lies from the enemy that somehow it was your fault. 
somehow you did something wrong, somehow you deserved it. And therefore it is not what it is. And you try to minimize the pain. And I know it's the enemy. And it, on the drive home, he did a good job. I remember he turned to me and he said, you're no longer a virgin. You just, and he used the F word. And it was so evil and it was so mean. I remember just chills and just feeling like he just did that to me. He did that intentionally. He knew. Yeah. And then dropped me off on the corner in the, the dangerous thing and drove off. And I had to walk like a block home. It was late at night. Yeah. And my parents were home. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm you, at that time, you know, the one thing you were protecting was your virginity. I mean, that was, you know, all these other things had been done to you. Now that is taken from you. Did you just feel completely depleted or what Yeah, were your thoughts? That was basically the moment of defeat of, yeah. well, I'm going all in. I might as well become the most promiscuous. I, I did tell myself though, I'm never going to have sex again because I still want to wait. <laughs> I yeah. kept telling I, I'm not going to do that because I still don't want to. I want to wait till I'm married, but I'm going to just be promiscuous. I'm going yeah. to make myself so easy yeah. that won't take advantage of me. And that's truly, it's a subconscious mindset. Mm -hmm. You see many younger girls who have been sexually abused become yeah. so promiscuous, but it's because this, subconscious thing comes over you that is spiritual as well that says if you just throw yourself out there to someone they can't force you again right so come that way become very sexually active then no one can take it from you right. yeah and that eliminates maybe some of the hurt yes you yeah know. yeah it gives you a sense of control and yeah you feel like all control has been taken in a moment of sexual abuse that you want some kind of control back and so if you're can be that no one can take it from me so I'm just going to give it freely yeah <laughs> it's yeah conscious and it's psychological and it's spiritual yeah. but it's so sad it's yeah. so sad it is yeah it it doesn't bring you anything but pain right and to <laughs> think about uh, one of your kiddos uh, you have a little girl right also yeah I have a bonus <laughs> bonus daughter yeah and I too and I have uh, two sons and a daughter and to think about her then being let out alongside of the road in a terrible mm. area just to fend for herself at just um almost like like just a bag of trash you just dumped out yeah. you got what you wanted out of it you dumped mm. it out now you go fend for yourself it I mean it's heartbreaking like it's hard mm. for me not to tear up right now just thinking about you at that I know age, I mean I'm like oh thankfully I know the end story <laughs> yeah that's right it does it does get better so um okay so you're walking home your parents are home and did they meet you at the door did they know you were out yeah I have left a little makeshift note saying I'm at so-and-so's house uh -huh. love you like they I was told not to leave the house and so they called so-and-so's mom who did yeah. not like with and she was very clear to say I was never there yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> the frontal lobe doesn't like actually right. form later yes <laughs> that was me and uh I remember I was in big trouble and obviously I did not tell them what happened I just made up something I think I said I went to the movies with some boys from youth group you know I tried to smooth it up a little <laughs> and I I remember I was just devastated. I, I remember I just was at the door getting in trouble. And I remember I just wanted to get to my room. I just wanted to get to my yeah. room because I was cry and I was in pain. Yeah. I was like, oh, what am I? This is life. Like, and, and one of my sisters, she remembers that night. She always says, I remember you crying. And I think I told her um, something bad had happened. And I just cried myself to sleep. I, again, just was like, this is it. Like everything I, the one thing I had. Yeah. I just felt so dirty, so used, so unworthy of love because here was the one chance where I was going to get to go on a date and just be treated nice. And it ended in the worst possible scenario. And him saying, you know, basically telling me word for word so that I couldn't say the truth. Like that wasn't rape. You just did that. You F word. Now you're not a virgin, you know, like, and don't try to say anything else. 
And, you know, he ended up convincing everyone that it wasn't what it was. And I just kind of went along with it. I never said anything unless it was brought up. And then I just said, yep, I lost my virginity. And I, it took me years to tell the story. And then once I did, and people would be like, no, that was rape. And I was like, it was it, but scream. And I didn't kick and fight. And I said, that doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, movies, the stereotype tells us it has to look like this. And that's not true. (laughs) If you know, if you silently, you know, if someone does that to you, it is not wanted and it is rape. And so it took me a long time to have the esteem and my identity in Christ to be able to speak truth and own truth. And, um, I just recently I was reading, and I think I talked about it on TikTok as well, but, um, the woman at the well in the Bible, another scene of a woman who was going to get stoned to death in the Bible for having adultery. And the woman at the well was a woman who had been promiscuous and had gone through all these men and had been, you know, most likely abused by these men and used by them. And just how Jesus meets her at the well and how he just literally loves her through it. He sees with the identity that she was originally created for and he doesn't shame her. And so, so many religions, you know, unfortunately, and so many religious people, even who call themselves Christians, so many times shame people who have been sexually abused or, or even become promiscuous because of it, not knowing. And so when I found God and just for, if anybody's hurting and in this place where people have judged you or people have spoken low of you, that is not Jesus. (laughs) You need to know that that is not Jesus. That is a hurting person who is lost and they don't know their identity in Christ because Jesus the woman at the well and he loved her and speaking to her. Um, it's so beautiful. He says, um, the woman says, sir, are you thirsty? Where does this living water you speak of come from? And Jesus says, if you drink this water, this water that you're grabbing right now, I refer to it as like a bandaid. If you keep just covering the things that have gone on, it's just a bandaid. It's not going to heal you. You're just going to another man. You're going to someone else to show you love and he's hurting you too. But he says, if you keep doing the things you're doing, you will thirst again. It'll only be a moment until that, that thirst is not quenched. And then he says, but I offer water that will become a wellspring within you that gives life and you will never be thirsty again. And I remember reading that once I was healed by the Lord and just bawling. Like I could, because he did that in my life. He showed up. This is only some of the traumas I've been through, but he showed up and said, you're trying to cover the past, the pain with these band-aids of drinking, drugs, partying, rebellion, attention, friends, everything. And it's not, your thirst has not been quenched. You are still thirsty. You are still hurting. And he's, I am the only one. I am living water that has a wellspring, the living water that will change everything. And he ain't just talking about water. He's talking about our lives and healing. Yeah. He did just like he did for the woman at the well. And he will do that for anyone. That's right. That's amazing. Oh my goodness. That's now. So during those times had at this time, had you told your mom about any of the incidents other than the at four years old, but no. anything, no, they know I was partying. They didn't know. My mom says, uh, I can't remember which parent it was one of the parents was saying to the other, I think she's partying or I think she's doing this. And the other one was like, I don't think so. Cause I, I was, I'd been practicing lying, manipulating, you know, with all that comes everything. And so I was really hiding it. And I was very rebellious in my home. I was very rebellious mm-hmm. to my parents. Yeah. And so I really just would kind of brush it off and go to my room and say, you know, I was just at a friend's house. I was just at so-and-so's house, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No idea at the time. No idea at the time. That is just, I still stand in awe of one, how God did deliver your life from destructions many times, even though there was hurtful things taking place. You know, I think about being alongside of the road, knocking on those doors, you know, (laughs) He still had his hand of protection. Yes. Right, right on you. Um, so if you feel comfortable, we will stop the recording. But if you'll yeah. hang out just a minute with me. Um, so listen, listeners and viewers, <laughs> I know that you are anxious to hear the 
the rest of her testimony that um, will exemplify God's redemption, his forgiveness, and his healing. Um, this is a lot to take in so far. So process it and hit the highlights. I, I love how she said, you know, what you think you are, that's what you attract. Did I say that correctly? If not, please yeah. correct me. Okay. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that she continues to focus on your identity. The only constant in our identity is, is Christ. He will not change. He wants good for us. His, the character of God that's revealed all through the word. And as we renew our mind on the word, we're transformed, right? Yes. To reflect his character. And I believe she will be the first to tell you that has played a major part in her healing is the word of God. Um, so you guys, thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next week. Remember, Monday will be a podcast. Wednesday, this will release as a YouTube episode. And if you have questions between now and then, even though we're recording this now, it will be posted a little later. When you listen to this, if you have uh, questions, if you'll send them to me, even though it's a little bit out, I'll get them to her and I'm sure she'll be glad to answer them. Um, for you. So thank you all for joining us. Come back next week. We will pick up. She's still in her teenage years in the <laughs> testimony, still very rebellious and um, still, still finding her way. So come back with us to hear what that looks like. Thank Amen. you all. Thank you so much. Okay. Let me... Thank you for joining us today. Please remember folks, we are all in this thing called life together. We may be in different parts of our story, but maybe, just maybe, by hearing from others, we will be reminded we aren't alone. If you are enjoying this podcast, please give it a follow, and please feel free to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to it. This helps others find the podcast, and it sure makes my heart happy. You can also find me on YouTube at Maxetta Gad with new episodes each Wednesday. Let's do it again next week.